0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, it's good to be back. Uh, I took a couple weeks off, went to the beach, managed not to get a tan. How about that? (laughs) Curse of the Irish. Um... Uh, welcome. We're, this is a great week for you guys to be here. If you are visiting a church, you're looking, this is a time where a lot of people visit churches the next two or three weeks or so. This is a great time for that um, because we're working uh, our way through a series that we started a few weeks ago before I left called Be the Church. And what we're looking at is what the Bible says a church is supposed to be, but more particularly, we're looking not just at the mandates that the Bible says this is what a church is, but we're looking at how. Those mandates are expressed in a very local, detailed way on this corner of 183 and, and Loop 360. At Grace Covenant Church, how do we express these mandates? And so this is a great time to come here because we're going to tell you how the things work and what what we value. And if you have been attending, um, I guess, less than five years or so, today will be extremely informative as we look at... You know, what type, what type of church we are and then how it all works, what we do, but, but why we do what we do here. It's a little bit like, you know, looking behind the curtain and saying, oh, I get it now. Or uh, maybe better, uh, if we could, it would be fun wouldn't it, to go into the tunnels at Disneyland, Disney World and see the, what, what's going on to make all the magic happen for everyone. So today we get to look at that. We're going to look at the church, being the church, but what it looks like to be the church here. To note, first, to start, this, what, what is it? the church? The church is, is what God has chosen to use as His primary means of expressing His presence on the earth today. Not only that, it's not just His presence, but also it's the means of doing His will. There's, there's, a, there's an unfolding story that's been taking place since all of creation about the redemption of mankind. And the church is the means by which uh, God is using His Spirit... Is going to use the church to do that. The church, the local church is 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 brilliant and wonderful and, and beautiful and powerful and loving. It has great potential. It, it, it's the accumulation of many bodies of Christ. We're all in in some respects an expression of the body of Christ. And when we gather together, we can do more and experience more than is imaginable. It is, it is not understood by the world around us. It is It is beyond the concept of of trying to conceptualize the power of the church. When the church works well, when it works, the church is doing God's will. It is bigger than us, but not bigger than God. When we talk about um, the church, we're going to talk about this powerful, brilliant, uh, fascinating thing. When we talk about grace, we're trying to figure out how do we work these mandates. Now, before we Again, today we're going to look at what type of church Grace Covenant Church is and then how, how it does that. Let me just review for you the first two weeks, if you might have missed those. The first, one, first mandate we looked at was unity, and, and unity is of high value here at Grace because it's a high value for Jesus, and we do what we're told, and Jesus' last, most intimate prayer for His disciples and for us, He was praying forward, was that we would be unified. He said, you know, you guys should be unified like the Father and the Son are one, and the Son and the Father are one. We are to be one with each other, and we're to be one with God. And so that was his prayer for us. And so one of the ways uh, that's a, you know, a tangible way that we express our unity here is, uh, to quote Confucius, the restoration of language. We use vocabulary very purposefully and within the boundaries of the definitions that we lay out. The three words we pick on a lot are opinion, belief, and conviction. And when we say we have a conviction about something, we actually mean the conviction has us. And we want to keep our convictions to a minimum because these things, they hold us. We don't part company over these things. We part uh, life. We give our life for a conviction um, opinions and are on the other extreme, and opinions are things that we just have feelings about. We have temperamental uh, ref- preferences towards those things. And beliefs in the middle, we have strong beliefs based on information, data, reason. We have weak beliefs because we have limited information and data. Uh, the way we express unity here is because we we are we are it's through humility. We we are humble towards. Uh, you know, the collective good. We are humble towards other people. We're humble towards God. And and if we, we define, in many ways, we define maturity as a person that cares a lot about a little, a few things, and we care a little about a lot of things. So we, we just focus on a very few things that we're going to, you know, kind of settle on, and everything else, especially weak beliefs and opinions, we enjoy those in other people because it makes life, fun, tasty, expressive. Maybe the opinions that we don't have, but they certainly are enjoyable, right? Another mandate that we are expressing here besides that is um, this belief that every believer is a minister. EBAM, we say sometimes around here, EBAM. Every believer is a minister, and uh, we make that a priority because, well, here we go again, the Bible says so and we do what we told, we have the values that we're told to have. And in the Bible, we'll see that in a few minutes. I'll show you the passage itself. But the Bible says that I'm just a pastor, but you guys are the, you're the ministers. We say that phrase uh, a number of times throughout the year just to kind of remind and inform people that the ministry is yours. And the ministry, for the most part, is actually out there. It's not in here. And, and we would believe that God, because He's sovereign, that means He control. He has a plan, and He has the power to control the plan. We believe, and it's a very detailed plan. We believe that He has placed you, like in Austin, here, now, in this time sequence, so that you could do great works in Jesus Christ. We would even believe that he put you on your street so that you'd have your neighbors, that he put you in your row of cubicles if that be the case, or on that soccer team, or have your kids play at this elementary school, whatever it might be, that there's no such thing as uh, a cold call, a circumstantial kind of confrontation, whatever it might be. We think these are arranged before time for you to express God's goodness or truth in a person's life. And we think the ministry is for you out there. The pastors and leadership here, we're player coaches. We have a, a ministry to do out there, and we also hope you guys uh, to, hope to coach you in some mini- ministries you might have. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about today. So when we talk about grace, besides we're, that we're unified and we believe that every believer is a minister, we also want you to answer the, be able to answer the question, what kind of church is Grace Covenant Church? What type of church are we? There's there's different categories. Are we a charismatic church? Are we a liturgical church? Are we a reformed church? Are we a newer version now? Is, are we a missional church? Are we a seeker church? Okay. The answer to the question is, it's really kind of bland, we are a discipleship church. We have always been a discipleship church. I think we're around 45 years in existence, and we started off being a discipleship church because um, we just do what we're told. And one of the last things that Jesus said, the last paragraph in the biography that Matthew wrote, okay, this is what he said. And if you, if you look carefully, Jesus is appealing to his ultimate authority because of his obedience to the Father. And here's what he says. And then Jesus say, came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth, everything has been given to me. Oh, Okay. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In my opinion, I'd, or belief, I'd say be a discipleship church, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I will be with you always, even to the end of this age. Make disciples, he said. How do you make disciples? That's the key phrase in there. How do you make disciples? Right? You, you go and you baptize and you and you teach them to obey all that he's commanded. It's a huge order, isn't it? It's a scary thing to be, right? All authority has been given to me, heaven and earth, now go do this. It's a very frightening task. And therefore, this happens throughout the Bible, when a frightening task is given to someone, it's followed by that last sentence. Don't worry, I will be with you even to the end of this age. I will never leave you, forsake you. Some kind of expression of God's presence Usually follows a life threatening command. <laughs> and here we are, make disciples. What is, what is a disciple? A disciple, well, a person who is baptized and is trying to obey all that he's commanded. It's not, it's not knowing all of his commands, that's an easy mistake to make. It is obeying all of his commands. It, back in the day, and it, even in Great science fiction like Star Wars, right? Uh, a disciple, a padawan, right, is someone that acts like the master, acts like the disciple or the mentor, the coach. And so they take on his thoughts and his feelings and his actions. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means that you think his thoughts, you have the same emotions, whether it's happiness or sorrow or grief or joy, at the same levels. That Jesus would have, and then you would do what Jesus would do. He is to be a disciple. Again, you could see this in sports and other types of coaching. You could say, wow, he, he actually is using the same mannerisms of his mentor. We would say that. We'd say, we want you to have the same mannerisms of Jesus Christ. We're a discipleship church. Your ministry is to make disciples now a, a wonderful there's a, a book in the Bible Ephesians it's a letter to a church in Ephesus and the theme of the book is how to be a church I want you to look at this uh, set of sentences here these three verses and they're going to show you how these three values right unity every believer is a minister and make disciples and a disciple is a person who is trying is 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 obeying doing all that Jesus commands watch this look at Ephesians chapter four. Um, so Christ himself uh, gave us apostles, these are offices and tasks, uh, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. How come? To equip his people to the works of service. Every believer's a minister, EBAM, right? There it is. So that the body of Christ would be built up until we all reach unity in faith. There's the other one. In the knowledge, this is the last part here, is uh, is about obeying and being like Jesus. In the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Maturity and the whole measure of the fullness of Christ means in a word, and the word sometimes is translated this way, it means to be complete, lacking nothing, full, able to not know, but able to do. That's what it means to be a disciple. And, and th- those three sentences in a nutshell is what we try to be here at Grace Covenant Church. We want to be able to help you in your ministry introduce someone to Jesus Christ at, at an elementary level, right? The, the person that right now is, is sleeping in, reading the Austin American Statesman, has no inclination to attend a church, and he's a person that God has put in your life. And we're, we're hoping that that person could be introduced to Jesus Christ by you, and then to be brought hopefully with you and the help of your friends here in this congregation to a fullness, a completeness, obeying all that Jesus commanded. And so we're not not a congregation, again, that that specializes in seeking… And, and helping people understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and then leaving them there looking to find someone else to introduce and then finding out someone else to do. Or we're not a church that specializes in, in people over here that know a lot and are actually obeying a lot and are nearly full, fully mature. And this is a very um, attractive thing to appeal to and say, okay, now let's all just get together and pray that Jesus returns before our kids are in junior high. I mean, doesn't that sound like a great way to live? Can we just live safe and all by ourselves over here and talk about how bad the rest of the world is and hope our kids never hit puberty? Come on, Jesus, come on. Okay, there's churches that do that because it's easy to do. We're neither. We want to be a church that introduces people to Jesus Christ, and we're a discipleship church, so we can't leave them there in their infancy and immaturity because it's too painful to to do that to someone. It's neglect for a baby, it's neglect for a baby Christian. And so we want to teach them to obey as we are learning to obey and be complete in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Okay, So that's what it means to be a a, a church that does that. that. That's what it means to to be a discipleship church. We're a church that's unified because we use vocabulary words intentionally. We are a church where every believer is a minister and we're a church that's a discipleship-oriented church. That's not the end of it though because now let's look how the cogs work. How, how does this work? In other words, what's the strategy for being a discipleship church? And this, I hope, again, is informative. If nothing else, it'll, it'll help remind you of what we do here at this location, how we express this discipleship process and how, you can, how we can serve you right, in your ministry. In other words, what's the strategy? Do you have, if, it's like a destination. If you want to go to San Diego, that's fine. How are you going to get there? Do you even have a plan? We have a plan. We have a five-step plan. Your notes say three. That's eh, because I made two up on the way. Uh, <laughs> it's just a five-step plan. Because, here's why this is important, because we can all agree on unity. We can all agree on every believer's minister. We can all believe, actually agree that we should be in a discipleship church. But how the wheels work together, we could, we could still get in a lot of trouble if we don't agree with that. Because if, if three of us got together and said, we should start a restaurant, and we all said, yeah, let's all start a restaurant. Let's pull our money together and start a restaurant. I can't wait. And here's what happens in churches. I'm daydreaming about… A Chinese takeout, the other guy's daydreaming about an Italian sit-down really elegant place, and another guy wants to start a Mexican food truck. They're all restaurants, but when we got to the brass tacks of how it works, we get in arguments. So here's our strategy. Here's here's a five-point ministry style for you to use in the ministry that God called you before the beginning of time, the good works in Jesus Christ, okay? How do you get Biff? who's sitting at home now that God's put in your life to a place of mature believer, uh, more mature believer, five steps. First step, one, building relationships. You build relationships with people outside the church, okay? There's a lot of different ways that uh, churches get outside people inside the auditorium Um, They they advertise a lot, right? They put it on the radio or the television, or they send out bulk mailers, or they do robocalls or whatever back in the day. Uh, Our value here is every believer is a minister, and we mean for you to be the person that has a relationship, that you have the, the vision to see that God has done something to bring someone into your life, and you are caring for them and praying for them and looking for an opportunity to share with them. You're trying to develop uh, a relationship that, that goes both ways. It has a dialogue where you can have agreements and disagreements. That A person where their shields go down, and they've been with you long enough to say, you know what, I can, I can trust you with conversations about my marriage or family or things that I'm afraid of or things that I enjoy, my dreams. And we, th- we think… Again, that this is what God has called all of us to be part of. Player, coach, you guys are the players. Credible, authentic, intimate relationships with people. That's part one. And, it, and, and so the people will drop their defense, defenses and talk to you. Second, a verbal witness. Somewhere along the line, you kind of cross that line, and it's a scary thing to bring up, and you say, you know, once upon a time, it seems like yesterday, I was trying to feel close to God, and I, the more I studied about the nature of God, not the God I wanted to exist, but the one that really does, I found that I, there was this glaring gap between him and me. And no matter what I did, I was never going to bridge that gulf, that he had to do something for me because there was nothing I could do. I found grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus gives grace. No one else does. And now I have a relationship with him. I'd love to tell you more about it. We would love to be able to help, at Grace, we would love to be able to help you learn how to say concisely, clearly, right, with understanding, listening, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. First step is to have a relationship with someone. Second step, to be able to say, you know what, This we want you to do this. We put all our eggs in this basket, friends. We don't, I don't know enough about our budget to say that we actually have a, a, a line that says advertising. I know enough to say this, the, the only no money I know we spend on advertising okay, and, and us doing the work is we put banners on the sides of this building and we, and we print out a few times a year postcards. What do we do with our postcards? We give them to you. <laughs> we don't mail them. We put them in your bulletin. We have a stacks of them outside. So three or four times a year, you can do this. We want to help you step over the line and say, hey, neighbor, you know. How's that? you know, I've been buying uh, carameled popcorn from your kids for seven years. We don't even like carameled popcorn. I was just wondering. We share a fence. Maybe we could share a church. Would you consider coming to Resurrection Easter Sunday with me? So that, that's the first two steps. You starting a relationship, you being a verbal witness. We want to try to help every way we can. The third step is the worship service itself. We would, you know, we designed this service for you in two different levels or two different ways. One is to help you become mature as a believer in Jesus Christ and for you to serve you in your ministry to bring a friend to be part of the process of becoming a mature believer in Jesus Christ. Now, in our heart and soul, we believe that God is doing Nearly all of the tugging and wooing, and, and uh, this is a, a bad word, but I'll use it, uh, begging a person to know Him. We don't have to do that. Okay, He goes way in front of us. You can lead a horse to water, right? We can lead a horse to water. God makes him thirsty for truth. And it's up to that person whether he'll, he'll drink the water or not, Right? But, but all we have to do is just lead them to the water. God's responsible to make them thirsty. It says the Spirit will convict them of their sins. That's a promise from Jesus. That's not our job. And so here at Grace, what we, what we believe, because of those beliefs, that we, we want this experience to be like, like, a, like a church. We're not afraid of saying that it's going to be different than anywhere else they're going to go. We have concert-quality musicians here, and, we're, and they're not allowed to play at a concert-quality level. I mean, their instrumentation, they can, but we don't have their faces on the screens, and we don't do solos so much. And even the, mu- even the vocals are brought to a range where I can maybe hit a couple notes by accident. Because we're not having an an entertainment experience here, we want to sing words that have meaning about a glorious God that's unimaginable in his greatness and his love. And whether a person understands those words or even knows what's going on, they can kind of, again, if God is doing stuff ahead of time, they can walk in and say, wow, this is not like anything I've been to before. It's supposed to feel a little set apart. Like church. And so, and by the way, and believing in our hearts, a, a, a strong belief that God goes before us ahead of time, when we teach the Bible here, we don't have long introductions so that maybe I can help convince you that you ought to want it, some truth. Our, our introductions are pretty short and to the point. Let's get to this book. Let's hear it. Because it is our belief that God. When a person is seeking, he is seeking truth. When God causes a person to seek, they are seeking truth. And we believe that the Bible is the highest form of of truth that's available to us today. And so you might have had this experience even before you were a believer, but certainly as a new believer, someone taught the Bible and you were leaning in. You were like, what is he saying? I have never, I don't understand completely what's happening here because I don't know these books that he keeps talking about in the Bible. you right, they, they quote references. But I that, that was true, what just happened here. Have you ever, let me just ask you, I'll ask you to raise your hands. Have you, in your early days of following Christ, or maybe even prior to you even taking, making a commitment to Jesus Christ, when you heard the Bible taught, did your soul not stir and say, this is what I've been listening, w- waiting for? Did anyone have that experience? Right, me too. I think I I might have been a believer for a week. I'm not even sure I was there or not. And I was dialing around looking for classic music, and I stumbled on a a, a radio preacher. And I could—I never left. I I sat and heard it and said, "Wow, this guy's on every day at five o'clock. I'll see you tomorrow, Chuck Swindoll." It is our belief that we're going to get to the Bible teaching as quickly as possible here. We're going, to, we're going to worship in a way that reflects that this is something different and set apart. When you come here to Grace, we have we, for you to help in your ministry, we have, I, I believe, our children's ministry, youth ministry, and our adult ministry, something to brag about. Your friend's children are going to be safe, they're going to be well cared for, and they're going to learn something about the glory of God and the love of Jesus Christ. And, and we provide that for you so that you can bring them here and know that it's going to be a great thing. It, it, one of the values we have here is simple elegance. We're not going to buy, try to be too formal. We're not going to be too laid back and hip and cool. I don't wear, like, skinny jeans with tears in them for a lot of reasons. but uh, Most is for your protection. But, uh, but you get the idea. We want, to, we want to be something that people say, wow, what was that? I don't know, but let's come back. Okay, now, I want you to know just kind of to make it a little more, I guess, sophisticated would be a good word, that what we, what we speak up here is actually part of a plan. It's a core, we have a core curriculum for the pulpit. About 12 years ago or so, uh, a handful of men and women in leadership got together in a room and said, look, there's a thing in, in, in education when are trying to teach people how to live lives called scope and sequence. Why is there no scope and sequence for the pulpit? Let's do a scope and sequence. Let's have a plan. And so we looked at five. We brought in five cal- uh, catalogs from seminaries around the country, some re- really great ones, and said, okay, look at their scope and sequence for their Master of Art in Biblical Studies. Let's apply it here. And then we, we took those topics and said, okay, in light of the kind of the various moods, the seasons of the year and the moods that accompany them, let's do the pulpit around that. So every fall when people kind of get like nose to the grindstone, we do long epics and surveys just like they do in seminaries. And then in the spring we look at um, – topical uh, uh, theology, or we'll look at, or and or both, right, um, books of the New Testament, the epistles. In the summer, when people are kind of, hey, summer reading, and we want to kind of have fun, we do application-oriented sermons that are life skills and ministry skills. And we also study the poetry books in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with that. So, this year we studied Ecclesiastes, next year's Song of Solomon. <laughs> Let's rock the house with that. So, <laughs> That's, so that's what we do. We have a core curriculum, and we're, it's a seven-year curriculum, and we're working our way through that. And the reason I'll tell you more about in just a minute, that's, there's a plan to this. There's a purpose for what we do here. So here's, here's an application. Could you decide ahead of time, if you're a person that comes every once in a while, maybe this year, how about you decide to, to start anew by coming to this auditorium, right, every Sunday? You know, don't avoid meeting Together, it says in Hebrews, don't avoid meeting with the church. This is the habit for some people. Come every Sunday that you're in town from now until through Christmas Eve. Could you do that and see what happens in your life? Do you have a plan for your soul? Do you have a strategy to get your soul there? Here's a part of it. Be part of a curriculum, a core curriculum, and a purpose, a worship service purpose. Okay. Maybe, one of your, maybe one of your applications for this one is to invite a friend. The third part of your strategy is to invite a friend to the worship service. If God's calling him, maybe we could be part of the solution. Okay, That's the first one. You ask them, right? you have a relationship, you have a conversation, you bring them to the worship service. The th- next thing is called a discipleship community or classes. These are cogs. I'll tell you more about that in a while. They fit together nicely. It's how the machinery works here. Discipleship communities or classes—they they have a core curriculum, and their core curriculum complements the pulpit. And 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 they are they have they're intentional in the class in the, in um, what they teach. Also, there are places for connectivity. We have live stage classes, and so people, generally speaking, the drama that you go through in life is attached directly to the age of your children. <laughs> Just share prayer requests, and you'll find, hey, you're praying for something like I am praying for, my children. And so we, we collect those people together, and those are the life stage classes. You could bring your friends to their life stage class. You could go to a life stage class so that you could learn to obey all that he's commanded in parenting, in marriage, in parenting adolescence. It's also the, the strength of this congregation. It is also one of the primary places that we cascade our wisdom downward. This is a mentoring church, a coaching church, and, and in these groups is when we let our leaders that are 10 years older than you usually manage somewhere in that. Also, the women's Bible studies, the men's Bible studies do this as well. We get older guys and older ladies with younger ladies and older, uh, you know, younger men as well, right? We're always looking for opportunities to invest in younger people. This happens, by the way, in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, and our adult ministry. They're called discipleship communities or discipleship classes. They have a core curriculum. They, um, they uh, are connecting places, and they're made built for mentoring. Here's how you could apply this. You've been coming weekly to this auditorium. How about you cross the parking lot for a semester and see what happens to your soul? Here's the next one. Here's the fifth one, right? The fifth thing you could do is our life groups. Our life groups. See how the cogs are fitting together? The life groups are extremely intimate interactions because you can learn while sitting in rows, but you can have your life changed by sitting in circles. You learn by sitting in rows, but there's power in sitting in circles. And it is, it is through our life groups that you get connected in, in a way that you can start confronting people about what they need to stop doing or start doing, and you can have friendships for life. This is where a lot of great things happen. Jesus had a small group. <laughs> Paul, the apostle, had a small group. In our men's ministries and our women's ministries, we're looking for our youth ministry. We, we have teaching times and then we get them in circles. Let's get these people in circles. A band of brothers, a band of sisters, there's three people I think in the Bible maybe two that were successful and alone. Everyone else when they got alone they paid. They were punished for it. Loneliness is not the method of life change. Okay? I mean, I want to show you something. I want to show you again, this is in the tunnels of Disney World, okay? This is I want you to see how these last three cogs fit together. Our, there's a curriculum for our, for our life groups as well. Let's just pretend the worship community cog, okay, is it's circling in a clockwise manner, okay? Our seven-year curriculum based on a Master of Art and Biblical Study right? And then what we do is, knowing that you will hopefully take advantage of our discipleship community, if you see their teeth actually line up with each other, and so if the worship cog is turning clockwise, the discipleship communities are, ter- are complementing that teaching by turning counterclockwise. They do it in two different ways. One, if I'm teaching, if we're teaching up here a book of the Bible, if we're going through Th- Thessalonians in like, what, what do we do, 11 or 12 weeks, then an adult community or, or discipleship communities, they'll be teaching through a topical thing, not a book, but a topic. That's one way they do it. They complement it by not teaching biblical book and topic, so they're working together, see? Another way they complement is up here all I can do in a 35-minute monologue in parenting is teach parenting principles, right? Just general kind of a shotgun blast. In the discipleship community, they can actually teach the details of parenting a toddler versus parenting an adolescent. That's how they complement. And finally, like, see how they complement? And then finally, if you look at how the learning or the life groups fit together, they are actually turning in the same direction as the worship service, the other clockwise. Because at least twice a year, our life groups go through the sermon itself. So you don't have to be a Bible scholar, you don't have to do much homework, because by Monday, I think at, at, at the day closing, what we'll do is we'll have this sermon manuscripted. They'll have discussion questions added to it. You show up, all you have to do is just be a good host, know how to make some iced tea, right? Have some little background music playing, greet people at the door, sit people down and say, okay, let's sit in a circle. Let's read these questions. How do we apply this to our life? That's how we do what we do. That's why we do what we do here. It's for your growth so that you could start over here and end up over here as a mature believer in Jesus Christ, knowing and doing all that he's commanded us to do. When I, was in, when I was in college, I was about to graduate. I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. And so this, this gentleman sat down with me, and he said, he said uh, how old are you going to be in five years? I said, uh, let me think, 26? He says, where are you going to be? I said, I don't know. He said, well, what are your choices? I said, well, I'm thinking about going to graduate school, you know, seminary. And he said, well, when you're 26, you will either have a master's or you will not. And that sounds really simple and might even sound really stupid to you. But but he just said, look, you're going to be 26 someday. You will have a master's in theology or you will not have a master's in theology. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Well, what if I wanted to have a master's in, in divinity, actually? He said, then you'd better start making choices now because the sand is falling through the glass. And so I did. Where are you going to be in five years from now? You don't know. How old are you going to be in five years from now? Are you going to be wiser? Are you going to be more like Jesus Christ? Are you going to have his mannerisms? Are you going to think his thoughts? Are you going to have his emotions at the same level? Would you do what Jesus would do? Okay, you want to do that in five years? What's your plan How how are you going to get there? Is is there a strategy? Because I think if you got involved here at the next level, wherever you are now, what the next level might be for you to mentor someone else or or lead one of the adult discipleship classes, what if you did that? If you stay here in five years, I think there's a real probability that you'd be a person that takes greater risk without as much anxiety. That if you're impulsive, you might be able, to ma- you might be able by, by God's grace, to maintain that. You could be a more loving but more courageous person. If you have children here, if you have a seventh grader here in five years, they would have gone through and experienced at camp five of the seven epics of the Bible. I mean, lived them in some context. Like, looked at Moses and answered him like the Israelites did in the desert. Or lived like in tutelage of Jesus Christ or the journeys of Paul throughout uh, the Near East. Your children could experience the five epics. You would know where the books of the Bible are and how to apply them to your life. You would know more about God, but you have to have a plan, right? When difficult times come in your life, you will either be the beach ball getting kicked around by the waves or you will be a lighthouse. You'll be closer to being a lighthouse. Do you want to be a lighthouse in five years? What's your strategy? I'm proposing this. I'm just one amongst other people here, but I'm proposing this. How about you join us? Because we actually have a strategy. We know who we are. We don't apologize for it. We know we're a discipleship church that's unified and believe that every believer is a minister. And we believe that if you connect in a way through relationships and understand the power of God's transforming grace, you'll want to serve the king in every aspect that you can. I'm inviting you to take the next step at this local church. Okay, so there. Let's pray. We'll sing a song. I've got some exciting news to tell you after our last song. And this last song, oh, you're going to worship. You will worship. Dear Lord Jesus, I would ask, Lord, that you would help us see ourselves in five years. Give us a vision for that, what you would want us to become in this wholeness, in the fullness, in the completeness of our, our pursuit to be like you, that we would have your mannerisms. We would lose our temper, that we would pick up some courage, that, that we would abandon entitlements. We want that. Lord, give us now the desire to make a choice, to make that happen, to rearrange our schedule, to pay some dues, to make it... T- 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 be willing to pay the price to make that happen. Lord Jesus, give us a friend to do it with that we might not be alone. Lord, we, we are grateful for this church. I, I speak for myself. I love Grace Covenant Church. Lord, bless her. Help her to be everything you would want her to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.